The following episode of the DJ Bomb Show was recorded before the SAG after strike began. We and our guests fully support this strike and the efforts SAG after actors fighting for fair wages and protections. Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, Pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts, stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams. No matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. There are not many people that I could think of that have A, worked with Miley Cyrus, and B, worked with Cookie Monster. That is our guest. Shannon Flynn hangs with me as she talks about her job as television director. From her beginning days on Hannah Montana to working on Sesame Street and Helpsters and everything in between. This is a great chat and I think I made a new friend today. Enjoy it. So for those that don't know you, could you kind of introduce yourself and kind of give a little bit of an elevator pitch of who you are and what you've done. Now, if the elevator gets stuck, it's okay if it goes a little long. <laughs> yeah, sometimes in my elevator pitch, I get stuck in between floors. Um, uh, I was raised in Southern California. I fell in love with theater. Um went to community college, found a group of friends that I adore and I'm still friends with, fell in love with my husband there. We started a theater company. Um, I worked for a theater here in Southern California and um, ended up going to grad school at the Yale School of Drama uh, in the early 2000s and then graduated from there, came back to Southern California to pursue a career in sitcoms and um, hooked in with a wonderful mentor who taught me everything, almost everything she knew and um, ended up directing my first episode of television was Hannah Montana. I was also, you know, because of that connection was able to become the acting coach on the show. And from there, just things sort of took off and I, um, now am working regularly on Sesame Street and, you know, within the last year I did that and a show called Waffles and Mochi, which, uh, is a show with Michelle Obama and, um, Helpsters show on Apple TV and, you know, things have just kind of evolved over the last few years into working in kids TV. Um, I'm married. I have three children. 
and a cat and <laughs> it's um it's pretty remarkable when i look at back at where things have come from and where they've gone it's pretty amazing so that's the elevator pitch and i did not get stuck in between floors very nice <laughs> Um, so yeah, tell me about you though. Tell me about you. What's your elevator pitch? I am a pop culture enthusiast. I have been doing this show for over 13 years. Wow. And I started doing this when I was 15. I'm 28 now. And I've, you know, I've built this kind of brand for myself after realizing that there needs to be a vehicle for this content. So I built it from the ground up. That's so cool. And how did you become, what was your, what was your hook in the pop culture? Like, what was it that launched this um, connection for you? Well, it's interesting because people see most of my content is, children's content, which is interesting because you would see me watching Nickelodeon and then the next minute I would flip over to MTV. Like, I was that well-versed in in pop culture to the point where most people my age will like this stuff kind of passively, but I can tell you what was number one on TRL a certain day or like what gotcha. I can give you specific things because I couldn't play outside as a kid because of my disability. So pop culture was really my way into the world. That makes sense. That a hundred percent makes sense. So like we've said in emails, we have a lot of mutual friends. Mm-hmm. And one of them wanted to say hello to you. Uh-oh. So I, so I have a little bit of an audio message for you that I'd like to play you now. Okay. Shannon, what's going on? It's Chris Hayes just saying what up and good luck on DJ Bob's podcast right now. Um, always a great day when you're uh, directing on Sesame. I always enjoy myself. Had a great time this season. Can't wait till everyone sees it. Anyway, enjoy your, your interview. And I'll check you on the street. Oh. I love Chris and Bradley so much. Same. Oh, my gosh. Same, same, same. They, uh, those guys. And, you know, Marty and, you know, Warwick. All those, the performers that I get to work with on Sesame Street are some of the best performers in the world. They just give me all the feels. I adore them. They've had so, like, they are truly, truly some of the hardest working people that I've ever worked with because, like, I can't put up a shower curtain without my arms getting tired in 13, you know, seconds. And when they have their, when they have their arms above their head and they have to have their, you know, usually their face down and they're looking at a monitor, 
it is, I just marvel. And I'm just always very conscientious of them having to, you know, of them like having to have their arms up for way too long, but they do it, man. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Dag, he, they've, all of them have been so loyal to me and I've never been to the set yet. And I live in New York. How <laughs> that can happen? I don't know. But, um, I don't know how that hasn't happened yet either, but for COVID, that's all I can say is I know that when COVID, um, when COVID, when we went back to work during COVID, like people visiting set obviously was very, very, but yeah. So who's your favorite, uh, who's your favorite Muppet to work with? Uh, I have several um, because I can't pick just one, which is how I am normally in my life anyway. So um, like as a child growing up, uh, Snuffy was my favorite. Um, And, you know, Marty um, restored my faith in myself a long time ago when I first started working on Sesame Street, uh, Marty Robinson. Um, But so Snuffy has always been like very near and dear to my heart. um, And Count Von Count always made me laugh um, when I was, and I just love that Sesame Street has a vampire. Um, um, But, you know, like, I, um, I feel like I have like a special connection with all of them when I get to work with them because I identify there's some part of my core that, um, feels like it is expressed in each of those characters. So I couldn't pick a favorite. I just know as a kid, when I would watch the show that Snuffy and um, and Count Von Count were like the ones that always lit me up when I was watching. Totally, so, mine is mine is Cookie Monster or Elmo. Like yes, I just love those guys. Cookie Monster was the first core Sesame Street character that I directed on my very, very first day uh, directing on. That's intimidating. <laughs> uh, yeah, ever so slightly. Um, slightly intimidating. And also, you know, as a director, you ha- like there are plenty of people in this world that um, I've had to direct that I've had to get over my like stargazing, like, you know what I mean? Being in awe of this person in order, in order to just like have to, cause I have to direct them. <laughs> I have no choice. I can't, I can't not do my job because I am in complete awe of the fact that I'm, but anyway, that was Cookie Monster was definitely one of those moments um, that I had to just be like, okay, Shannon, just, just another actor just have to like give direction and they're brilliant at what they do because they'll talk back they'll talk back to you they'll get they'll respond to you in character 
right? It is so true. It is absolutely 100% true. But also what I love is that if I'm giving a solid piece of direction that is an adjustment that I would like for the performer to make in a line delivery or, you know, timing or something like that, the, the performers are a hundred percent respectful of that, or we have a conversation about it, you know, which is what directors and performers should be doing. So, um, you know, there, there's nothing that is set in stone performatively that, um, they always just come to the table with having made a choice and then, you know, are willing to make adjustments as wonderful actors do. So what surprised you most about working on the street? Is it like, I mean, you'd have done, you'd have done mutton stuff before, which is kind of still in that mm-hmm. same kind of preschool realm, but this is Sesame Street. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's, an, it's an institution. <laughs> not to say that Kid and Marty Croft are not, but... Oh, believe me, that was bonkers. That was my Saturday morning television, but you're not wrong. Like, talk about having to get over myself. Meeting Marty Croft was, you know, one of those core childhood, like, oh my God, I'm meeting Marty Croft. Yeah, even for me <laughs> too, like... I mean, they basically laid the groundwork for what kids' TV is now. Yes, I agree with you. And it also, they, I mean, I know we're getting off topic, with, but you said this conversation. So, yeah, no, I, and I will answer your question. For me, Marty Croft took something, like, trusted kids in a way, and the Sesame Street, too. They trusted kids at that time to that they didn't have to be talked down to right that Sid and Marty Croft to me proved that you could be weird and kids will just go with it like and that if you if if the characters are compelling and if the story is compelling kids are just going to go with go with whatever it is that you're you what if you trust them to follow the story and your story is compelling enough, they will follow along and you can get as weird as you want. And, um, and kids love it. Um, and Sesame streets the same way. Like nobody assessed me was nobody assessed me talks down to kids. It is a respectful relationship between the storytelling of Sesame street and the kids who are watching it. Um, and and there's no, um, to me anyway, there, it is a it is a one to one relationship that um, that that's what changed that's what changed kids TV from being like you know a uh, how could I put it from being like we're gonna tell you what you want to hey this is us just having, you know, this is us presenting to you and trusting that you're going to go along with it. And people did. Um, but yes, Mutton Stuff, which was so much fun. Again, like, puppeteers on that show were incredible. People that I'm still, Bradley Zweig, of course, who you um, had on your show is incredible. Like, such a great executive producer and taught me so much like flip my brains about things like how kids consume um 
television now or you know content i guess we can call it um and 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 that led to sesame street of course which um walking onto the set of sesame street from the for the very first time was um overwhelming to say the least and i'm really grateful that i was invited to come to sesame street before my first day of directing just to get the lay of the land get to know the crew meet the um meet the performers on the show and and you know just kind of watch the way that process works um and also because the people at sesame street are incredibly intelligent and it's not their first rodeo they know that the first time you set on that step foot on that set it is um if you've watched sesame street as a child there is a very core reaction to seeing the stoop and seeing hoopers and big bird's nest and it is um oscars can of course uh and being able to take all of that in in advance of having to like be uh, <laughs> responsible for the day, like was so um, helpful because it is it it is very overwhelming. And then now, as a person who's been there, of course, um, several times, I never get over. May I never take for granted that moment um and and what i get to do and also i get to see it happen to people other people for the first time that makes you a cool feeling it is and and someday when you get to go onto that site you'll under you'll see like how incredibly um just I wish I knew how to describe it, but it's... You'll have to let me know when you're directing again so we could plan it out so I can meet you there. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so that's the... Uh, that's the... the it is it is something um, truly, truly special. Um, and I... I every, every time I get to go back, um, I just feel so... Um, grateful and humbled. You've been there for what five, six years now. I uh, yes, can't remember the first time. When was my first episode or season forty-seven? I think or forty-eight. Season forty-eight. Um, and so, and I just did season fifty-three. I think that's the season we just. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought fifty four just wrapped. Oh, maybe it is season fifty four. See, you know more than me. Uh, yes, yeah, season fifty four just wrapped. You are correct. Like I was, you know, I was thinking about our conversation today and where we were, where we were going to end up, and I was thinking, who's the who's like the bigger diva, Miley Cyrus or Prairie Dog? <laughs> <'Cause like, laughs> <laughs> uh, I will tell you this Miley Cyrus is one of the kindest most generous people um, I've worked with so Prairie Dawn's the bigger diva uh, no I um, Miley I've known Miley it's been a 
couple of years since we've spoken to each other, of course, but um, I've known, I, I started on, um, sorry, on Hannah Montana. I worked on the pilot. I was the assistant to the director on the pilot and, and um, so I, I was there from the first table read to the last and um, I've, so Miley and Emily, I've known since they were like 12 years old and um, I just watching the two, like watching the whole cast grow, of course, but um, Miley is the exact same person that she was on set, which was, like I said, just generous, loving, remembers everybody. Um, and so, uh, and just so felt like she, she always felt like she was a part of the crew, you know, um, never acted out, never, you know, took her position for granted, never, um, exhibited any diva behavior at all, even as things got more intense and the popularity of the show grew and stuff like that. Um, it was a safe place. And I think she The build the the build up for the show was crazy, I remember. Well, what's so funny is that we had shot we started shooting that show in we shot the pilot in June. They picked up the show for series. The first episode was shot in October. No. In November and it aired in March. And um in those first few episodes, like we, you know, it, we shot it in front of a studio audience and it was people trying to get people to come and see the show to like fill up the audience, you know? And then after that, it was bonkers. Um, but like, it was truly, truly like an experience of a lifetime and to get to have that like more than twice in my life is pretty remarkable. It is so, it's so cool to see your trajectory because like Hannah Montana and Sesame Street and Helpsters is just like a complete 180. Um, there is a through line though, which is that, you know, for me as a person working in this industry, I usually say yes to everything. You know, like that's that's my mantra is to just say yes to everything because, you know, I love what I do so much. And the only time I would say no is if I ever felt unsafe, right? If I, if my, uh, if my like guts go off and the alarms in my guts go off and I am like, hmm, maybe not that one. Um, so like if I feel unsafe, then I will obviously say no, but like with Disney Channel and Nickelodeon and um, Mutton stuff, it really just is about like, there is a through line for me and it's usually working with people that I love to work with. On Mutton stuff, the director of photography, Michael Franks, was the director of photography on Bella and the Bulldogs. And um, so I, you know, went 
I went to that set. I went to the Mutton Stuff set to say hi to him, Michael. And that's how I met Marty. And then it turned out that Bradley Zweig and I had the same agent. And then they had an episode available. And that's how it happened. Um, so usually it comes from like some connection, wonderful connection that I've made with people that I love working with that, you know, perpetuating those relationships. So yeah, you have to, you have to make those connections. Yes. A hundred percent. Um, here's a question for you. What was your, um, what was your favorite Disney channel show growing up? Oh, <laughs> that's so tricky. But Hannah was up there. Yeah. Hannah, Hannah was definitely up there because the whole music element and how, how every episode was parroting a song title, the episode name. Like, I just latched onto it. I watched it on premiere night and didn't miss one premiere. Wow. What about um, Sweet Life? That show, too. I love it. Yeah, that was a fun show. I got to work on that pilot, too, when I was the assistant to uh, Lee Shallot. Um, she directed that pilot, too. And also, um, she directed the Sunny with a Chance pilot, even though it at the time when she shot it, it was not called Sunny with a Chance. But... Um, but I got to be there for yeah, that, that too. That show didn't that show didn't get it do I feel. Well, that show kind of uh like it was the premise of that show was wonderful. And um and and that and the ensemble in that cast was solid. So like it I just think that like when it when it flipped into being a sketch show, that pivot, um was interesting though because Disney didn't have anything like it on the air like that. Yeah, they were kind of going for the all that SNL. Yeah. Approach. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting because when I have conversations with these creatives, they're like, "How do you know so much about the ins and outs of it?" Because I've never been a person to watch something and you go, oh, that was a great show. And we kind of like, oh, how did they do that? <laughs> and what is the reason why this... It's kinda, I'm kind of analytical and I want to know the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, A lot of people don't do that don't. when it comes to children's content. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Well, what do you want to know? Like I'll, I will I can you can ask me anything, and if I am not comfortable answering, I will a hundred percent tell you. But how much did you get paid? No, <laughs> <laughs> scale DGA um, scale that I can tell you. When you direct, what um, what you like in the edit room when you have to cut together the first cut of it? Um, get to see assembled for the most part without you know a lot uh, there are some things that obviously will be refined um but the editor has uh, has given me a rough assembly usually with some kind of soundtrack too underneath which is really helpful like 
being able to hear a show with its like um whatever the sound is going to be whatever the soundtrack is going to be is super i realize how helpful that is but usually i get a pretty good rough cut and um with streaming services now there isn't necessarily a like with disney channel nickelodeon when it's when it's airing on television regular television there ha there's a time right it has to be 22 minutes long but i get the assembly when it is it's full like without cuts without taking any um script cuts or scene cuts or anything like that so i get the full monty and um and then usually like the notes that i give to the editor are usually you know different takes or different angles or the way i want to play a joke uh in terms of the coverage the camera coverage um and sometimes I get to sit in the room with the editor, although COVID kind of made that cut that out of the equation. But usually I get, a, um, I just sit with the episode and when I watch it, I usually watch it the way I would watch a show on, that I would watch a show, right? Does it make sense? Are all the pieces there? And then I watch it again with a more critical eye to see about the way things could potentially change. But sitting with an yeah, editor, you, I'm sure. You, I'm sure, like with something like Helpsters, that is such a unique show on its own. So I bet the editing process for that is kind of pretty close to what we see. Yeah, a hundred percent. And the and the editors on Helpsters. I mean, there there are very few editors that I have not had a good relationship with, and um, so most of the editors that I work with are phenomenal and um get and especially if it's a show that i've worked on or that has been around you know most editors like know the rhythm of the show so there isn't a lot of refining that needs to happen um so yeah so like they they get it and if it you know for a sitcom for a comedy show they can you know that there's the rhythm of a joke is pretty straightforward. Um, and most editors know how to do that if they've been working in comedy. And with helpsters, uh, and especially in preschool television, it's different because um, there is a rhythm to the episode which kids look for the structure of the show, right? So it goes like, we start here, and then we get the information, but the scene is pretty the, much the same. It'll be exactly the same. And the difference, the difference is like, who's the person that we're helping and what's the problem. Right. And then we have, so like that to me is what's helpsters is like where it lives is in the structure. And then within that structure, the jokes are, you can make those jokes because the kids know, the information that they're looking for if that makes sense yeah and i think what a lot of and the one thing i wanted to point out is that a lot of people with disabilities kind of rely on preschool television no matter what their age because change is overwhelming to them yeah 
And if they have the structure, it's easier for them to kind of know know when it's going to happen. There are no surprises. But you also have room for fun stuff. I mean, look at Look at a character like Mr. Prim. There's so much <laughs> that Marty can do with that. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's a lot of on-location stuff, too, which is fun. Yes, I. one of the reasons. Um, but thank you for giving me that information, because that's not something that I had um, considered, but it that makes a lot of sense, that like having something that is structured and reliable um, uh, in order to be able to know like that, the comfort of the structure is like, that's a, that's like such an invaluable piece of information for somebody like me when I'm working on shows like this. Um, But uh, yes, for helpsters, we shot on location a lot uh, and in New York, which for me as a director was like an incredible dream come true to be shooting on location in New York city was bonkers, just bonkers. I love it. I think when I first saw that show, I was like, this show is so irreverent and so weird, (laughs) but I can't stop. I can't stop watching it. I couldn't stop watching it. It was so good. I love it. Okay, so then I have to ask you, like, who was your favorite guest star on Helpsters? Danny Trejo. (laughs) Oh, my God, Danny. Yes, yes, yes. He was hilarious and fun, and he, too, responded to uh, Mr. Prim. (laughs) Mr. Prim (laughs) and Danny Trejo had a very special, like, bond with each other, which was incredible. Yeah, it's so funny that everyone you work with are my friends. So they'll be like, oh, I was shooting help. Can you tell me anything, please? (laughs) (laughs) But they keep that under under lock and key. It's so like, I want to know. Well, now that all of the episodes, I believe all of the episodes have been... um, I believe all the episodes have been released. So um, I am happy. And I was there for a lot. So I am happy to tell you. What do you want to know? I want to know how, what we can, so what is the process of like shooting the episode versus the little interstitial segments in between the stories? Um, So the a lot of times um we would shoot so we would shoot like two episodes at a time and each episode well sorry let me rephrase within each episode as you know there are two stories right there's an the two 11 minute stories correct and so um we would shoot we would block shoot between those two so Um, And it also a lot depended on celebrities and their availability and stuff like that. And then the interstitials, like the music videos and stuff like that, we would shoot those separately. So it's possible that an interstitial that I would shoot um, 
wouldn't necessarily be a part of the episode, an episode that I was assigned. So say I was assigned episode number one, but I was also shooting like another music video, but that music video could potentially be with episode three, if that makes sense. So it's like, yeah. So I you don't necessarily, you're just, you don't know what you're shooting, right? So I may I mean, not you know, be but, responsible yeah. for the whole episode as it airs, but just part, you know, like definitely the story parts, the A and the B story, but the music video in between may not necessarily be something that I did. I know you won't take offense to this because you probably agree. It's so weird. Yes. Oh, the weirder the better. A hundred percent the weirder the better. Like Tim McKeown, who created the show. Um it, I, have to, I have to talk to him. Yes, 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 yes. And he created um Odd Squad, which is yeah. appropriate. Um and um when I met Tim, like when I interviewed to direct on Helpsters. He directed some of my favorite episodes, or he directed, he wrote some of my favorite episodes of Gravity Falls and also um, Adventure Time. I love Gravity Falls. I love Gravity Falls. <laughs> Me too. And okay. so he also Adventure Time, which we as a family love. And so, like, I. Mm. I was fangirling out so hard, like when I met Tim and, um, and he could not, he is just the nicest guy on the planet. So nice and so kind. And for him, truly the guiding vision for helpsters was obviously we had to be, um, we had to be, you know, keep in mind that we were making content for preschoolers and stuff like that. And so within that, like we could do like, if it was weird, then Tim loved it. And it, we could still like make the educational point that we needed to make. Tim was on board and he would pitch like the strangest, strangest ideas. And usually we did them because they were wonderful. So even as far as like a line delivery. Yes. Yes. Like I can't think of any right now, but I'll, but like, oh, I would, I would hear something and I'd be like, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was like was one line in particular that Mr. Prim said that was talking about something. And I forget, I wish I could remember the context. And, but Mr. Prim's line was, and none of this, none of this, backpack college backpacking through Europe stuff or something. And it was just like so weird and wonderful and just um yeah. Yeah. I I I was huge fan. Huge, huge fan. He so yes, definitely we you need to we need to get you hooked up with uh, Tim McKeown because he is truly, truly, truly like his, the way his brain works is, is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I love helpsters and I love everyone involved. <laughs> and 
I just love how secretive it was when it was announced. Oh. I, w- I was watching that Apple event because I'm an Apple <laughs> nerd anyway. But to see that Sesame was getting involved, I was like, they're, they're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> they understand me. <laughs> also, what was remarkable to me is that, you know, this was intended to, to introduce preschoolers to the idea, the concept of coding, right? Like, mm-hmm. and um, for me, I was like, you teach coding to preschool children. And then, like, so I was a little like, hmm. And then when I saw it, read it, I was like, oh, this is language that we use every single day. So, you know, and and until, it wasn't until I started working on the show that I realized how frequently I use language that is already coding language. Like, if we go to the store, then we should pick up some eggs or whatever, right? So then there's the relationship or breaking down a problem into component parts to make it manageable and figure it out and pivoting for a solution. Like all of these things are not just about like coding code. It's also about, you know, processing and, and life skills, but like that's, to, to take it out of being something so heady and putting it into practical terms. That was amazing. I love that show, and I'm so glad that <laughs> we got to talk a little bit about it today. I love it, I love it so much because, like I said, it, it's just so weird. <laughs> it's so perfect. It's so quirky. I just, yeah, love Helpsters. Same. So as you're doing all this preschool stuff, you end up working on Raven's home. Mm-hmm. What is that shift kind of going back into that into that world? Because like you're kind of using two different sides of your psyche for these things. In a way, yes. Technically, it's very similar, right? Shooting with, you know, technically shooting between. I mean, so, I mean, content wise, content wise, you know, what's funny is um, you would think it would be a psyche shift. And the only thing that I have to pay attention more to in Sesame Street than I would in a show like Raven's Home is the um, the educational components, right? The educational side of Sesame Street requires a little bit of, you know, more attention some attention to detail just so that like, as we are teaching children that like making sure that we have all of the elements that are necessary to be able to do that with Raven's home, the attention to detail is still incredibly necessary. Um, but between the two, the link between the two ultimately is comedy. And, um, because at its core Sesame street is super funny. And so trying to find the rhythm of a joke is the same if I'm on Sesame Street or if I'm on Raven's Home. They like have that educational component um, or sorry, 
the comedy component, which I find to be, um, which I find that's like where I come alive too. Like, so working with, you know, I'm just working with performers to find the joke. And um, so that, that doesn't require that much of a shift, but you're right. Like as far as working on Sesame street, there are things that I need to get to make sure that, that we're satisfying the, the preschool curriculum side of Sesame street um, that I don't necessarily have to, to do that for Raven's home. Because a lot of people don't remember that Sesame Street is a younger show than it once was. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I, yes, Sesame Street, um, the, the, the core audience has definitely become more specific. Because I think there's more content for kids that's that's age specific for across the you know like i think that as kids television has expanded there are more options for people it sounds sound like a nerdy comment but i love your body of work which is oh thank you i wanted to talk to you because you've done <laughs> so much different stuff and challenge yourself too thank you Oh yeah, I am constantly trying to learn new things and find new opportunities constantly. So one of the things I wanted to bring up is I was so moved by our by our initial email when you when you reached back out after I wrote to you that you actually checked out the show and liked what you heard and I want to know what not and this is not to sound self-indulgent this is so I could be better what do you like about what we do tell me what you think um well you're you have created an opportunity for people to just have a conversation and let the show unfold naturally right there isn't a set and you may come in, you may come into this conversation with like some specific questions that you want to ask, but that like, it's just, this is what it is. It's just a conversation between two people who, you know, have a shared interest and, um, and those are the best. And so that's what I love is that there is a, that it doesn't have to feel so formal. And um, that to me is, those are the best conversations um, and the best kind of, uh, it's not really an interview. So it's like, you know, if we, yeah, yeah, that's I, what I said that I always, I always say it's just a conversation that happens to be recorded. Yes. And I think that that's what makes it so great. And you're a very easy person to talk to. And um, so that's, and, and, you know, you're friendly and, you know, and I personally love your enthusiasm because I am a kind of a, a joy junkie. 
you know, like I love what I do so much and I hope that I never get um, tired of like just being able to express that joy. And also I love the shows that I work on and to be able to geek out with somebody like on the shows that I work on and fill in some blanks for them is like dream made. So, so that's like apparent in the, in the work that you do. I mean, I've, you know, cause I, I never, and the other thing is too, I never used to talk about my disability on this podcast period. And how come, and, and first of all, why not? And second of all, what made you change your mind? I never wanted it to be the core focus of the show. I never wanted it. I never wanted people to feel bad for me. Right. That's because fair. Most people think, oh, he's doing it for lack of a better term. It's like a charity case. Yeah, that I can completely understand. And... I started talking about it because once I did, it created a dialogue between me and the guests that they won't have another interview like it. That's true. Another another conversation like it. And it 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 creates a friendship between me and the guest where I can go back to them in six months and be like, hey, you wanna talk about this? Or that, you yeah. know, like, because they know me now. They don't know right. DJ Bob, the host. Right. You know? That, um, exactly. That's exactly right. And I'm so glad that I do now. I'm so glad that I talk about it now. Freely and openly. Yeah. Because this is, trust me, this is not, like, appealing to a person's ego like me. I mean, I try to be as humble as I can but like when somebody has is is well versed <laughs> in the things that I've done it's obviously very flattering so like you you know it, you have a base of knowledge that is unlike any other and it, it like any other person um that I've spoken to and your ability to reference that so um, readily is like incredible and um, I don't prep <laughs> I don't prep that's amazing <laughs> I just know this stuff so well that I could just format it and make it in my head you know right. like, click. Yeah. it's all right there that's incredible but that's, that's amazing but that but that's also because of my disability. I had more time to absorb all this stuff because I couldn't really do much else. So when people ask me, do you wish you could walk? It's like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm good. Like, it's all right. <laughs> because it gave me more time right. to really focus in. That, um, and then, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to speak for you, but I would say like, and here we are, you know what I mean? And it is astonishing to me that you don't prep because you have such clear access 
very specific and clear access to stuff that um, I sometimes would have to take a moment to recollect. And I was like directly involved in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, when I say I don't prep, like there's literally no question sheet in front of me. It's just me and you. Understood. But I'm saying like, like you could look at my bio or you could look at Marty Robinson's bio or Chris's bio and you could be like, oh, I can see these shows that they've worked on. And then, you know, in your database, of the database of your brain, it's not like you're going to have to like go Google a bunch of stuff in order to like get yourself up to speed because you're already familiar and you already know and you already have very specific. The only thing I did was watch Helpsters again because I wanted to watch it again. That's the reason why. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's also like totally worth watching over and over again. Yeah. So we're talking about prepping the show and stuff like that. Do you have any questions about the show and how this works? Because this podcast is unique and I want to know what you want to know about it as we go into our 13th year of this thing. So here's what, so what, what, how did you decide to start it? Because 13 years is a long time. And um, what was it that, that, what gave you the idea? What was the spark that made you want to start this? Simple. I kept getting fired from other radio stations. So I started my own. <laughs> But then what made you focus specifically on pop culture? Like Well, here's the here's the thing. Thirteen years year thirteen years ago, it was a completely different show. And a lot of people don't know that. It was a, it was a top forty music show. I would be taking phone calls and talking to people and talking really fast in between songs. I was a radio DJ. Right. And then I realized I'm trying to be someone that I'm not. So then in 2012, I I started, I was thinking about television shows from my childhood, and I wanted to interview one of the puppeteers one of the main Sesame puppeteers, and he's also now a director on Sesame, Noel McNeil. I'm sure. Noel. Have you met Noel? Yes. Noel's my buddy. He's the reason why I got into all this children's stuff and started doing these interviews. Um, so he, so I, cause I grew up watching Bear and I wanted to talk oh. to him and he was the first person in this landscape that gave me the time of day when I was 17 years old. And he's been with me through breakups and friendships and just being there just for me as a person, not just a creative. So I owe a lot to him. And then I started really talking 
about to all of you guys. That's amazing. Um, Noel is really special. I met Noel when we did the um, Big Birds Road Trip on for the 50th anniversary. Um, oh, the good old, yeah. When, yeah, all of those. They were great. Thank you. I just did, I say just, but I did the um, Big Bird when Big Bird got to Hollywood. And, that wasn't um, a far drive. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. I'm from Long Beach. Anyway, and so that's when I met Noel and our, obviously we've um, his you know, like both of us being involved in Sesame Street. And now, as you already know, like I saw the little shop of horrors that is in off Broadway right now that he's like filling in on. It's amazing. Yeah, so he's the reason why I kind of switched over to just conversations with people and made me want to have more like it. Incredible. Aw, thanks, Noel. Thank you for for launching this. Your check is in the mail. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, it's really interesting because I don't think you realize how much of a connection we already have separate from children's television. You and me? Fill me in. So, my favorite television show of all time. You want to guess what it is? I couldn't possibly because I would embarrass myself. Gilmore Girls. Okay. And when I found out that you kind of you kind of shadowed with a Gilmore director. I kind of freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> um, twice, actually. I um, uh, Rob was one of the first directors that I ever shadowed on Gilmore Girls. Um, and that was like the second time I ever shadowed a director long, long time ago. And then Lee Shallot, who I've mentioned a couple of times, Lee directed on Gilmore Girls and then became the producing director on Gilmore Girls. And um, so, yeah, that was yeah, incredible. That's my favorite show. I love Gilmore Girls so much. And um, that And is, you know me as a, pop, as a pop culture nerd. I eat all those references up. <laughs> they... Um, that was, oh, yeah. God, that was such a great, that was such a great experience. Sorry, I'm like having this flashback moment um, of... I'm just the vessel. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And when I had my first child, I um, took my, I took, I took her up to... Um, I took her up to the set uh, in order to meet Lee and and, um, it was like an incredible, incredible, incredible experience. And Melissa McCarthy was there 
um, because she was getting ready as, you know, obviously, you know, who she plays Pookie. And um, she was pregnant. I think she was pregnant with her first child then. So we had this really long conversation about pregnancy and being pregnant. Was this the final season or close to it? When was it? I think so. Yeah, it must have been because um, that was 20. My daughter was born in 2006. So it would have been 2007, I think. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it was the last season. Yeah. Gilmore means a lot to me. It's a great show. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, people see me as this kid show guy. And then when I bring up that Gilmore is my favorite show, they're like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, that makes sense. Like, it's it's all in that because it's so it's such a funny show but it's also about like it's family it's broken family it's you know healing yeah all i don't know yeah and special so yeah and so what does what does diversity and disability inclusion mean to you I, um, it means a lot of things to me, um, both in front of the camera. Um, I think that although we are by no means where we need to be, I think that it requires, um, an active and consistent, um, in front of the camera, like an active and consistent, um, casting you know with casting and and um not just like in like in you know speaking roles but also just across the board being able to have a visual representation of uh uh an inclusive representation of what this world looks like i think is super important um and um the the season of helpsters that um, I just worked on that was um, with Eileen Braun, who was the showrunner, because Tim was working on something else. So I know she and I worked really, really hard to make sure that that the roles that we were trying to this, the roles that we were trying to cast were being cast um, with people uh, that were inclusive. Um, and but also behind the camera it's like making sure that people have opportunities that and that and that there is a that there's a real active mindset in this in our community in the entertainment industry to hire people um as writers as directors as directors of photography you know um that and i'm just those are just examples not to be limiting but like so that so that there is inclusion in that way too and then also to just like not be arrogant about what our assumptions are um about people with disabilities now if you if you said differently abled <laughs> then I would then I would have been like 
She came for what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing is like, like, I think that that's why I asked, right? Like I've reached a point where it's really important for me to just ask. It's like, I, I want to make sure that I am saying the right thing, not because I want to be politically correct or whatever. It's because like, I am not a person who is disabled. Right. And so the way I, the way I am in this world is not, I can't be presumptuous about what it is for somebody who is disabled to like have to function in this world. And what I learned was what my presumptions were um, working, working with somebody who is disabled and being able to make sure that I was making the experience a place where this dis where the disabled person was not um having to make adjustments for us does that make sense that you were meeting them where they were at correct because as it was explained to me and this is i think where people um i think people don't understand just how um being a how easy it is to be accommodating you know, and that doesn't mean that you're like, it, it doesn't mean that you have to like, it, I don't know how to, I don't know how to put this. Like when hiring, hiring more disabled people is not a burden is I think where people for like, think that that's what's holding it back or something. We are, we are more than happy to do it. Exactly. And so I think that there isn't a, I think that, that just the ability to make it happen or desire, the desire to make it happen is, is the first step and being active about it and not falling into a rut of what is the same you know what I mean? Like, oh, we'll just hire those 10 people because we've hired those, like, just say, for example, one aspect is background, right? Background actors. It's like, just hire, like, if you're hiring background actors, why not hire um, background actors that also include somebody in a wheelchair? Why don't you hire a background person that is also signing? Why don't you, you know what I mean? Like, let's be representational, like let your background reflect what this world is. And, um, and it's, it just requires like not falling into a rut in terms of the way a person thinks. So I have to thank you for just, just being on this podcast today and being a part of it. And it's such a gift to talk to you and we're friends now. Yes. A hundred percent. So when I have these conversations, I don't intend to make any kind of impact or to, to change somebody's perspective. Because when I have an interview with you, I don't want you to go into the, the writer's room the next day and change the script because of something that I said. But at least if I can change your mind, for at least one second, then I've done my job. So on that note, 
what have you learned um, from our time together today? What have you taken away from this? Um, that like this, that, well, first of all, I've made a new friend, which is amazing. Um, and I can definitely take that, take that away from this, but being able to have, um, a conversation about opening up the, what we see on camera and behind the camera, like being able to have an honest and meaningful conversation about like opening, like making sure that we are, that we are making and giving opportunities to disabled people. You know what I mean? Like it's hard. I think sometimes it's hard for people to have that conversation. Like I know for me, it was hard sometimes because I don't want to say the wrong thing and I don't want to. And sometimes it's easier to just not say anything than be afraid to say the wrong thing or ask for help about having a conversation like that. And I think that for me, being able to have that conversation with you and taking that out into the world only reinforces something that has, that has started for, or, you know, started for me a couple of years ago, which was, um, recognizing that even in my own mindset, was I not opening my world to what those possibilities are? So be you asking the questions, keep asking those questions because that is what's going to, I know what you said, but if you keep asking those questions, then then you're opening people's, you're continuing to open the door and open people's minds to inclusion. And, um, and that for me is super important. You obviously have access to a lot of people who, who can make those decisions. This means the absolute world to me because I feel like we're just meeting today, but I feel like we've known each other for years. I know. And we've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes. I just happened to look at the time and it's like, oh, this feels like the time flew by. And that only happens when there's clearly a connection. So thank you. So where can people find you? Where can people get in touch with you? Uh, I, um, I don't have a lot, like I'm pretty private on social media and stuff like that, but, um, but there will, if, if they want to reach out, that's a good place to start. They're going to go through me. To, they can go through you. Actually, if they want to go through you, that would be great. I'll um, be a buffer for you. Thank you. My middleman. In all seriousness, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope we could chat again soon. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You got it.